Law Focus Podcast. Law Focus on Balfan. 88.1. Point of Information. Good evening. It's two minutes past seven o'clock and you're with me, Tapu Mahapi, for Law Focus tonight. Welcome. We are in partnership with the Vitz Radio Academy. I'm going to be hosting the show tonight. It's going to be my last time with you for the year. And thank you for joining us if you're joining us for the first time. Um, it's always a very informative and uh, insightful show. And if you're one of our regular listeners, welcome back to the show. We're always happy to have you here. Again, I said this is like I said, it's our last live show for the year. Um, uh, we'll still be broadcasting for the remainder of the year, but some of those will have been uh, our, our pre-recorded shows. We hope you, you've enjoyed every single show that we've put together throughout this year. We had a difficult time this year because of COVID, and there was a time when we couldn't be in studio. Um, we hope you've enjoyed what we've, uh, what we've brought to you since August when we resumed. Back with our broadcasts, and that the knowledge that we have given and been able to share has had some sort of impact in your life, and that you'll be able to use it in the future. We are in December, and that is always a strange time in this country. You know, we all go on holiday, and we all have a great time. But it is also the time when the UN and the country uh, hosts or holds 16 Days of Activism for No Violence Against Women and Children campaign. It started on the 25th of November, and it'll end on the 10th of December this coming Thursday. Given the scars of uh, gender-based violence in this country, it's really been a, a problem. It's not something that we can pretend doesn't exist anymore. Uh, we've decided that this show we're going to dedicate to a specific aspect of gender-based violence, and that is historical rape, or historical rape incidents, rather, where a rape has occurred some time ago, and the survivor of that rape then feels the courage now, perhaps when they're older, more composed, calmer, to uh, report that rape incident and what options are available to them, why it is that we can find a delay, what the challenges are around that as well. Law Focus comes to you at every Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock and we go really in-depth into legal topics uh, which will be insightful to you. We have guests that are going to speak to you and tonight is no different. We always want to talk about things which relate to you specifically uh, and perhaps sometimes to the country as well where it's something that we need to address maybe as a youth, uh, maybe as men, maybe as women but always something that you can relate to. Uh, tonight's one we should really pay close attention to. Half of the population in this country is particularly susceptible to this phenomenon that is rape and gender-based violence. Remember, you can contribute to the conversation by calling us on 011717 You can also join us on our various um, social media platforms and you can be part of the show by engaging with us. I really like it when you do engage with us. Try to keep the uh, the conversation really about the topic that we're discussing. But as long as it's about the topic, we're happy to take your calls as well as your twit your tweets on Twitter. The hashtag is or the handle is at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. On Facebook, we are VowFM. For podcasts, you can visit vids.journalism.co.za forward slash law or the Vitz Radio Academy on Iono. We are now available to be streamed on Spotify. As always, we begin with the first feature of the show, which is our legal hotspots. I particularly enjoy this because it's what's happening now. So here are legal hotspots, the hottest stories of the week. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week, it's Legal Hotspots. Yeah, this is an all too familiar situation in this country. The return of right-wingers. It's something that happens every so often in this country. But here we are yet again, 26 years into democracy. The citizen has reported two members of the right-wing organization, the Crusaders, have been sentenced to eight years behind bars for planning terrorist activities. Hawks, uh, Hawks a spo- a spokesperson, Colonel Mohale, said that a 55-year-old man, uh, Donald Abrahams, and a 50-year-old man, Errol Abrahams, were 
on Tuesday found guilty and sentenced to in the Middleburg Regional Court for contravention of the protection of constitutional democracy against terrorism and related matters act. Oh, that's a mouthful. Basically, our terrorism act is what they contravened. Mohala said that the pair had prepared and planned to carry out terrorist attacks on various government institutions and, surprise, surprise, places populated by Africans, black Africans. This attack was meant to happen on the 28th of November 2019. According to Mohale, the two, uh, they form part of the Crusaders organization and their plan of this organization was to over, to overthrow uh, the democratically elected government of South Africa and replace it uh, with a government led by their own organization, that's the Crusaders. And the objective that they wanted to achieve would be done through military uh, attack, to, to, through attacks on military and uh, police installations, as well as informal settlements occupied by black people. On the 28th and 29th of November last year, the Hawks arrested the two, uh, and they were arrested in Kliprifir in Gauteng. They remained in custody until the finalization of the case. And each of the accused has effectively been sentenced to eight years in prison. You know, one of the ironies of a matter like this is that had they been found guilty of um, this type of offense uh, in the old days, you know, in the days of apartheid, they in fact would have been sentenced potentially to life. Uh, If they'd been found guilty of treason, it could even have been a death sentence. So I suppose these uh, right-wingers... Uh, right-wing terrorists can be glad that they actually live in a democracy which they don't seem to appreciate. But there you have it. A little bit closer to home now, uh, in the East Strand, another man in uniform, in a position of power, has abused that authority, has abused that power. When is this kind of stuff going to stop? The IOL has reported that an Ikuruleni Metro Police officer was arrested and this was for allegedly assaulting his girlfriend, then kidnapping her, then driving to a cemetery where he threatened to kill her with a firearm and three knives that he was carrying. The woman managed to get away and flag a passing police vehicle. Her boyfriend was arrested. That's now the Metro Police Officer. Uh, IPID uh, is looking into the matter, and the spokesperson for IPID, Sonta Hasesi, said that the incident happened on Sunday at around 5 p.m. in the afternoon. Cesar said that the 27-year-old officer and his 24-year-old girlfriend had an argument. Now, during the argument, the man allegedly assaulted her. Then his family tried to intervene, but they weren't able to calm him down. The suspect went back to his own home, fetched his service pistol and three knives. He then forcefully kidnapped his girlfriend, drove her towards an open space, which was near um, the graves, and told her that he was going to kill her. So he says that during the chaos, the woman spotted a police vehicle and raised the alarm. Um, and that resulted in the officers who were driving past, arresting the suspect. The Kuruleni Metro Police Officer is expected to appear in court very soon. These are young people who, you mean, 27-year-old, 24-year-old. But a 27-year-old man, you, I mean, he, 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 it means he was born, what, in 1993. You would think that this is a modern man with uh, modern ideals, but here we have it. And then now, always and forever, that we often, always, almost always have to talk about the tender fraud accusations. These are bound again, and it's in the multi-millions yet again. A multi-million rand tender. The tender was to render police services over the next three years uh, to the police um, health services, to the police forces, and it was for a period of three years. Now, this tender has come under spotlight when one of the losing bidders has asked the Kalting High Court in Pretoria to review the tender award and to set the award aside. This is also according to IOL. It states that the Mpumalanga uh, company Carewell Emergency Ambulances is questioning the award of a tender to uh, the Metropolitan Health uh, Corporate. The tender is worth 173 million rand a year over the next three years and is to provide police with, among other things, wellness screening, assistance with temporary incapacity leave, ill, ill health retirements and those types of uh, medical assessments. Uh, Cedric Mashala, who is the director of Carewell Emergency Ambulance, 
said in court papers that his company was only told that their bid was dismissed after the tender had been awarded to Metropolitan. Mashala said his company attended the tender briefing as required by the SAPS and had submitted all of their documents by the closing date in March. He said, therefore, that his company had done everything by the book. There were 16 bids in all which were received, and all the bids had been registered in the National Supplier Base with the National Treasury, and they had submitted uh, the various pricing schedules. Mashala said in, in August his company received confirmation from the SAPS, SAPS uh, supply chain management team that their bid had been evaluated and it was found to be in compliance with all of the requirements. He was also told that SAPS was going to perform a due diligence meeting in the next few days and his company was then invited to give a presentation before panel. It come as, came as a great shock then to him that his company, in fact, had not succeeded in um, securing this tender, and this is the reason he's approached the court. Now, of course, this could be a simple case of his, good, his, his bid wasn't as good as the rest, but this is South Africa, and it could also mean that we're going to uncover all sorts of shenanigans. So we'll, we'll, we'll follow that one a little bit more closely. Yeah, well, that's been our legal hotspots for the week. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the top of, the stories of the week. It's legal hotspots. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. It's 14 minutes past seven. You're with me, Tapamu Happy, and you're listening to Law Focus on VIFM 88.1. Tonight we're discussing what happens when someone finally decides to open a case about an historic rape incident. Now, being violated can cause huge trauma to a person and all of us react differently to trauma. Some people may instantly disclose what has happened to them, while many can go through various emotions and time before they feel ready to talk about it. Many people actually never talk about rape whatsoever. Uh, And the reasons for that are varied. Um, and perhaps it is a topic that we should also discuss when people simply choose not to and the reasons why people choose not to discuss rape. Now, rape is can be broadly described as unlawful sexual intercourse with another person. It is initiated by one or more persons without that person's consent and the act can be carried out in various ways, physical force, coercion, abuse of authority, threats, or it can be also carried out against a person who is incapable of giving valid consent. Now, this would be someone, for example, who is unconscious or incapacitated due to illness or perhaps drugs or drink, um, or someone who legally cannot give consent, so they're below the age at which they can give consent. Tonight, to unpack this and discuss it a little bit better, we're joined by Tumelo Ramalekana, and she is a, a psychologist based in Pretoria. We'll be discussing some of the effects of rape, and um, especially uh, historic incidents, and how the courage that it takes for an individual to approach after so many years, or months or weeks, however long it is, to come forward and discuss uh, what has happened. Uh, Tumelo, hello. Hi, Tepo, how are you? I'm well. Welcome to Law Focus. We're very pleased to have you on the show tonight. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, we're right in the midst of of, uh, the 16 days of activism. And, uh, of course, this is uh, really an important one because it is unfortunately so common within within the country we live in right now. But what I want mm-hmm. to know is exactly, uh, broadly, what is trauma and, and mm-hmm. how do people actually react to it? Okay. So trauma is an event that is so distressing for a person or overwhelming to a point where the person can't actually cope with the situation that is currently happening or that happened. And in some cases, you get that people's brains switch off when the event is occurring. Therefore, the brain really fails to register what is going on and the feelings that are associated with the whole situation or event that really is taking place. So when the event is done, the person now 
comes back to their consciousness mm. and fails to understand what really happened with them. So you get that in some cases, people's thoughts and emotions are really not associated or they're not coherent with what happened. They can't really make sense of what really happened. Mm. They are confused and it's just very, they, they don't know how to deal with it. Mm. And some, to some point, people even forget about what happened. It's only the triggers that are left behind because as much as your brain would try to protect you from a certain situation, it, it can only do so much. So what happens is your brain kicks the event back in their head and tries to forget about it mm. and tries to not associate your day-to-day basis with the event that happened. Yeah. So... I suppose it's it's, it's 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 a way of of your brain trying to allow you to function um, on a day to day. No, you can't mm. because you have triggers that remind you of what happened, but you can't make sense of them. Mm. Mm. So it affects your day to day function, and you 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 can't make sense of everything that happened, and um, it's like you. Your brain gets injured, hmm. and it's permanently injured, and it can't be fixed as well as much as you can't even solve the problem, or you don't know what's going on. Hmm, 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 hmm. Now, turning to to historical or, or rape cases, mm-hmm. we often find, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in South Africa, where there is a huge gap between when uh, an incident of rape occurs and when mm-hmm. that rape is eventually reported. In most cases, what causes this delay in reporting rape? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of reasons why people don't actually report cases of rape. And one of the first reasons is secondary victimization, whereby a person is scared that they would be judged or they won't believe, be believed about the situation. Because you get that the person or the perpetrator who has done this to them is someone who has high risk in the in the community, yeah. someone who has power. So the the victim also, as I said earlier about the brain shutting off, is sometimes not sure of if this event occurred or not occur. So it's just a a fight, internal fight that they have on whether or not to report and whether people will believe them, their family members, would it be also dangerous for them because you know sometimes people get raped by people who have who are murderers or who have power in any way and it could lead their families to be in danger for a reason, uh, for some sort of a reason or they could also be in danger mm. so there's a whole lot of reasons why people don't actually report mm. cases of rape And one of the things, perhaps, uh, that we've picked up is that there can be massive disparity between the 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 survivor of a rape and the perpetrator, and uh, sometimes even where Mm -hmm. um, the the victim has the courage to then go and report it. Uh, Victims, Mm -hmm. you know, they try to silence them through attorneys and threats of legal action, etc. When they finally do have uh, the courage to speak out. What's your take on that? Um, Well, remember that rape is not about sexual pleasure, but it's about a power thing. So it's about who is is exerting power to who. And even if the incident has happened, the person doesn't stop exerting power or doesn't stop showing that he is powerful or she is powerful or they have authority over that person's life or that person's body. So when you see situations where people try to silence um, the the victim, it's because they are trying to show them that, you know, I I still have the power and there's really nothing you can do about it. You Mm -hmm. must just shut up about this thing, not speak about it because some cases people believe that um, they deserve to be um, assaulted the way they, they were assaulted. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. So, I mean, there's, there, there's a measure of am I to blame in this. Is that part of yes. the trauma? That uh, Did I do something? Uh, did I create yes. this problem? Yes. 
so we we see a lot of self guilt and self blame in in victims of trauma, not only in rape but in a whole lot of trauma. And um, we see people who would literally blame themselves for the situation and would create scenarios where they could have prevented the situation from happening. So that also plays a very big role in why people don't even report this and why they are even scared to report this. And that's one of the biggest myths that we, we, we go through or we have to deal with when we see clients that actually have been assaulted. Mm-hmm. If you've just joined us, we're in conversation with Tumelo Ramalekana. She's a psychologist and she's, she's explaining to us how trauma affects different people or rather people mm-hmm. differently and why it may take a long time for someone to open up and talk about an historical rape incident. It's 22 minutes mm-hmm. past 7 o'clock and I think this is a conversation which all of us should listen to because we don't, we never really know. Uh, you know, often when an individual comes in and they say, this happened to me, you know, three years ago with my boss, with my uncle, with my whatever, you know, very often the question is, but why did you take so long? Uh, Why did you do? And I think this is a conversation that we really need to have. What is it about um, um, uh, the the, the actual reporting of the incidents, which takes an incredibly long time, Generally speaking, because um, uh, in some instances, you know, the Hewitt case, for example, some 20 years um, in other incidents. okay, it's a few months or a few weeks in court. It can get difficult to work with it because of the the, of the um, uh, of the time span. Um, Is it, you know, what is happening in the mind of that victim? Okay. So um, most of the time, when a person really takes time, besides battling with, the, are they going to believe me? What are people going to say? Um, they don't really understand the emotions and the feelings that are associated with the trauma. So the trauma still lives on, even if it just occurred 20 years um, back or, or a couple of months back. Mm. It just still carries on. They still live in this trauma that they are in because... Remember that the brain has disassociated the memory from the emotion. So they can't really make sense of it. And only when they now start making sense of everything, everything slowly comes back to them. That's when they realize that I actually have been assaulted. And by the time they go and report this issue, it's late. They the, they get victimized and say, uh, why did you wait so long? How could you bring this to us now? And now they go through what we call a re-traumatization again, mm. where now they have to go through those emotions again and try to deal with them. Because at, in the first instance, you, you fail to make meaning of what happened. So people take a lot of, a lot of time to make meaning with what happened in in the past. Mm, mm, mm. So, uh, yes. uh, 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 you know, fears and and triggers, uh, which mm-hmm. can negatively affect a person once they've experienced mm-hmm. a rape. Um, I, I know we say counselling, etc. But what are the coping mechanisms mechanisms which generally tend to work? Okay. So counseling is not the only thing that you can rely on to try to deal with this because not everybody is expressive of the what happened. But what I urge people to do is try to make meaning first of what happened. So when you make meaning of what happened, you have to try to relive that moment so that you can figure out and have a clue on what happened. Um, we also urge people to look for their support systems, to rely a lot on their support systems, like their family members, their friends. And sometimes you get that those, the people who are in the family um, as the perpetrator or they don't believe them. So yes. we also urge people to actually try to, to understand their feelings, that the feelings that they feel and the thoughts that are associated with the trauma. Once you have a clear understanding of what happened, you can put some certain coping skills in place that will help you deal with those specific emotions and thoughts that are associated with the trauma. And if you effectively put the coping skills in place, you will be fine. But because um, trauma is different with everyone and everybody has a certain and 
a different response to trauma. Same as coping skills. Coping skills are something that you, you can't acquire. You can only unlock them. So what happens is you have to look within you just to know what how you can cope with the situation. And you put those things in place so that you can be able to deal with with what happened. Mm. Mm. So as, as one of the examples of a coping skill was to, is to write a journal about it or join a support group or you can actually um, blog about it. You can um, try to, to do relaxation techniques and breathing exercises so that you can be able to, to just cope with what happened. But the, one of the core components of dealing with this is voicing it out. Mm-hmm. As long as you voice it out, it will, it, you will be able to make meaning of what happened. I also tell um, many people that you should look at YouTube videos where people really explain their feelings and thoughts when everything occurred so that you can also better understand your emotions and your thoughts when you are watching that video mm. that can help you deal with it. So, I mean, we have a broad range of listeners and uh, I can imagine that there's someone um, at the other end of, of the line right now listening to us speaking mm-hmm. and saying, but you know, two years ago my boyfriend did this or, you know, something has mm-hmm. happened to me as a youngster and I haven't yeah. been able to get past this. I, I, it's been a long time, but I, I know it's still with me. I've buried it, I've tried everything and I can't uh, seem to work through these emotions that I've got. What's your advice to somebody who's still in that space, even after time has gone by? Right now, what can they do to help them? What they can do is um, just try to to find a way to to tell people who you you trust about what happened. Even if it's, it's 20 years ago, it's 30 years ago, you will still carry the same emotions. And what really damages a person is them keeping what happens. It has this negative effect on them that can actually make their lives spiral out of control. Because we see that some people engage in self-destructive behaviors and they end up getting um, um, assaulted again. Mm. So what you do is you, you rely on your support system. If you, you can't rely on your support system, you go to support group. And I personally would say that please report this issue because you're not helping the next person. You wouldn't know how many people have went through what you've went through because of this person. Yeah. It's better for the perpetrator to be locked away than to be roaming around the streets and um, violating other women or other men that that you could maybe play a part in, in, in helping them. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, I mean, a, 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 a sexual predator doesn't stop at one or two. He, he only stops, in my experience, if he is stopped uh, by law enforcement. So, yes, if you can speak out, do so. If you can't speak out, write about it. Uh, you know, if you can't write about it, talk on the you know record it somewhere on, on you know on YouTube or whatever the case may be for yourself I just get it out mm-hmm. there out of your out of your system uh, Melo, thank you very much for talking to us we appreciate having your time tonight um, thank you for thank insights and your words of advice thank you very much for having me this was very nice I hope that people um, would do right by 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 um taking what i've said and most importantly never forget to forgive yourself for what has happened you are not to blame nothing is wrong with you the world is just not as much as we expected it to be yeah Uh, thank you that was tumelo ramalekana who's a psychologist and she just outlined for us what the various effects of trauma are and the reasons why people can take a long time to report about their rape. I think perhaps one of the most important aspects that she mentioned was it's not your fault. It wasn't the skirt that you wore. It wasn't uh, what you said. It wasn't that you were talking to your friend who's a male. There's nothing that you did 
uh, to deserve a violation of that sort. Um, and that is something that you should never forget, regardless of how much time has passed or that you were to or that you were done. Whatever the case may be, it's really not your fault. And don't forget that. Well, we'll be back right after this. Your focus and you your rights. Hey, welcome back to Law Focus. That was a bit of a heavy discussion there. But, I mean, sometimes we do need to have these heavy discussions because they are part of our lives. Uh, it's not all um, uh, 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 peaches and cream and happy days and all of that. Sometimes we really need to discuss some of the things that make us uncomfortable. It's 25 minutes to 8 o'clock. If you've just joined us, we're discussing uh, historical rape cases and how they can affect uh, the survivors of those um assaults and some of the issues that we are going to touch on now are the legal aspects of it. We talked about a little bit about uh, the psychological part of it with Tumelo Ramalekana. She's a psychologist. Um, what we have been thinking about is that, um, well, of, of note actually, is that there's no time limit for reporting a rape case and a rape case does not prescribe. Uh, however, delays in reporting rape incidents can of course have some practical hurdles such as physical evidence may be lost witnesses may be difficult to find and these things can contribute to making a successful prosecution more difficult we're now joined by elizabeth nevo she's a legal practitioner from legal aid and we'll be focusing on the legal implications of historical rape cases and um, how those play out in the in the you know legal fraternity and the legal world elizabeth welcome to law focus thank you for joining us uh, good evening. It's good to join you again. Good, good. It's always nice to have you. I enjoy speaking with you very much. <laughs> T- tell us, when is it? A, when is the right time to report rape? Um, it, it, it is as soon as it has happened, um, because I think I just sort of caught the tail end of your previous comment, and that mm. is that there is also a medical. Um, evidence that can be collected, mm. um, and I spoke to a friend of mine. Uh, when I knew that I was going to talk to you, and she's a trauma counselor that um, is also a first responder. Mm. Um, and she says also the first 20, 72 hours after a rape is the most critical mm. in that that is when you can collect the most medical um, evidence um, in the right way at the right place that can later help with the prosecution and another thing that you've mentioned and that I didn't even think about is that if you then go to if the victim goes to the crisis center or crisis clinic they can also receive antiretrovirals um, they can receive the after morning pill to prevent pregnancy oh, yes. um, and all those kind of medical attention that um, you won't get it if you if you wait too long and there's maybe further repercussions then because of the because of the sex Mm, mm, mm. So, is is the process different, for example, an historical rape case and a recent one? Is the the process of prosecuting is is that any different? No, um, you, you know the reporting is exactly the same. It, it it just becomes so more difficult because, unfortunately, um, the police and the system is geared in such a way that there's there's immediately a suspicion. Um, why did you not come immediately afterwards? Why did you go wait three years, four years, five years? Um, and I think, as my friend also says, rape is the only um, crime in which the victim becomes the accused. Yes, uh, because yes. then, yeah, it, it's all of a sudden you must explain um, yeah. why did you not do this? Why did you not do that? I mean, if you go to the police and say somebody stole my car. You know, you're the victim. Nobody blames you for your car being stolen. Everybody feels very sorry for you, but rape, unfortunately, or any sexual offence is, um, is unfortunately, um, you become the the, the, uh, the accused, 
and it just becomes worse the longer the, the longer you wait. Yeah, you, 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 I've seen that you almost in a situation where you must justify yourself. Not only mm. that you must um, complain, but you must justify why it is that after a year or two years yeah. or whatever yeah. the case may be, that you are now coming to talk to uh, to the authorities about it, and that can really cause trauma in the additional trauma in the in the victim themselves. Yeah, because, I've, the, um, you know, again, I'm quoting my friend and she said a few very true things. She said she must say that we mustn't forget that rape violates a person's body, mind and soul. You mm. know, that, that person is left with uh, helplessness, with worthlessness. And there's always the question of, um, and I think rightly or wrongly, but is it, you know, what did I do? I shouldn't have been there. What, you know, so mm. one shouldn't forget that it is not a gain, and I'm, I'm using maybe a very simple example of your car being stolen. I mean, that already is dramatic. Imagine if your bodily integrity was attacked. Mm, How mm. more? Um, and especially, I think, in South Africa, but I think in the world, it still has a very, it, it has a stigma. You know, you yes. must now explain to your friends and your family and why, you know, why did you do this? And nobody got, and I think, yes, everybody is, yeah, now, you know, poor Elizabeth, we're sorry for you, but then also the next question, Elizabeth, why did you walk down that mm. dark street? Or why did mm. you stand at the corner? Or why did you go to the club? Why did um, you drink so much? Or why, yeah, yeah, why did you drink so much? Or wear that so, skirt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. And I think, it, you know, that, that question also comes immediately. Right. If you've just joined us in conversation with Elizabeth Nevo, she's from Legal Aid, and we're discussing the legal implications of rape in general, but also we're discussing the reporting of historical uh, rape cases. These are things that do happen um, often in our courts. Um, I don't know what the conviction rate is. I imagine that it, it's not very good because of the inherent difficulties that exist in uh, prosecuting rape in general but uh, an historical rape case in particular it's about 20 minutes to uh, eight o'clock here please continue to be with us while we unpack this a little more elizabeth are there any extra legal implications for reporting a, a, a rape case after a long time um so are there any caveats that the court has to take into account or are there rules about what evidence can be led? Anything like that? No, there's not. But I, if, if, um, I think you just mentioned it becomes more difficult um, because if, you, if they could have collected medical evidence um, at the time of the rape, the mm. chances of a conviction is is greater. I'm not going to say it's a certainty, but it's a greater. So if you if you report it later, then it really becomes a he said, she said scenario. Yes. Um, and and then it also you must remember a defence attorney just doing their job. I mean, they they that's the questions they need to ask. But if there's a lady um, on the on the stand in a criminal case the way that they test her version is by testing her memory. Mm. So, ma'am, you said you were walking down the street at exactly 8 o'clock on the 8th of December. Um, mm. Now, if you if you testify recently after the event, you can say, yeah, no, sure, I was there, and it was a, um, it was, uh, there were stars, it was a clear night, but now take that same event five years down the line. So now, easily a defense attorney is going to say to you, really, ma'am, can you really remember what happened five years ago? Surely, you know, you've now mistaken. That's not really what happened. Mm. So I think the victim places herself or himself, we mustn't forget men are also right. Um, it's just in a, in a you know, they're they just already on the back foot um, mm. because there's nothing really that can help them in terms of, um, uh, you know, making her version truer than his version. Mm, mm, mm. So... One of the things that our courts, you know, in the last few years, what I understand is that the courts have made it easier to testify um, um, in sexual assault and rape cases. So sometimes they will clear the court. Uh, sometimes they can, uh, depending on the age of the of the uh, complainant, they can have the a uh, someone testifying in a different room and via video link, etc. Do those still apply for a a crime which occurred prior to these um, 
uh, say a crime that happened 10, 15 years ago prior yeah. to all of these interventions, can a victim uh, uh, go to court and still be sure that they can receive this similar protection to a, a recent incident? Yeah, usually when we, we were talking, as you were talking about in, in a different room, it's usually with the intermediary, what mm. we call them. Mm. So then it will, and those usually apply to your minors, mm. your vulnerable, so maybe a mentally handicapped person, mm. that they are both protected. But now if you are 25, by the time you testify, but you were maybe 13 when the rape happened, um, the court is going to look at you as an adult. Because you're right. now 25. Yes. So will they now protect, give you the same protection as if you were 15? Right, okay. Most probably not because the court is going to say, well, you're not now the vulnerable 15 year anymore. You're now 25. Okay, okay. okay. I yeah, see. But I mean, the courts are, I, 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 do the courts are sensitive in terms of, because um, I think you know that courts are public. Everybody can go into a courtroom. Yes. Um, so there is a sensitivity that, you know, the victim doesn't testify necessarily in front of a full open court where there's lots of people in the in the gallery that hears, um, you know, that hears the, the version of the, the rape. Right, okay, okay, right. So but, but what are the rights of a, a, a rape victim? Um... Uh, medical or whatever the case may be yeah. or from the prosecution what rights do they have well i mean they have the right as any other south african um citizen that gives you in the terms of the bill of rights you have the right to um to dignity <clears throat> to access to the courts access to the system access to health care so <clears throat> it's a problem i trust um then um so, I mean, you're in, that's why going back to say you're entitled to the antiretroviral, viral, the, the, yes, yes. the morning after pill. So you're entitled to, you, you know, you don't become a, a lesser citizen just because you're the, the victim of a, of a sexual offense. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're still entitled to dignity. And I think that's, I think maybe that's where we, the, the criminal justice system fails um the 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 sexual offenses the the right victims is that you know maybe i think they they walk away and feel like you you know i don't really feel very dignified um and the bill of rights is i have a right to dignity i have a right to be treated with respect with um Mm. like any other citizen but I, i in a way the lawyer in me would say is that not a function of the system itself that because it's adversarial because you have to test the version, sometimes in the rigors of arguing the case, um, that um, humanness can get lost. And it's perhaps up to the court to remind the defense attorney, the prosecution, that actually we're dealing with a traumatized person here. Mm, mm. Look, yes, our, our system is, I mean, and the, 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 that Bill of Rights that I just spoke about does go both ways. I mean, mm you're entitled to a fair trial mm. if you are an accused. And that fair trial, like you rightly say, it includes testing, testing the evidence what, that is presented against me. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, and I think the, the presiding officer does play a role in terms of to say, okay, I understand you have a right to test the evidence, but sir, maybe just, you know, just woe a bit, you know, just, um, be careful how you how you test the evidence, and I think they. If I remember, was it in this year or last year? Yeah. Um, was that what is this article? I think about this lawyer that the, the presiding officer did sort of say to him, "Sir, um, no, you know this is now this going is too far now. a bit far. Yeah. Yes, you yes. know, they're testing evidence, and then there is just being mean. Yes. And and I don't think that's our job. Our job is not to be mean. Our job is to test the the truth and the reasonability of, of evidence. Yeah, right. I, I remember when I was uh, a, a little bit younger, there was a a rule, um, and it was a, a truly horrible rule, uh, because what it would say is, but you know, the evidence of a single witness should be treated with caution, etc., et mm, and mm. The, those types of things. And what it meant in reality was that a rape victim, because they, I mean, rape often happens with one person and one perpetrator, it was treated with caution. And uh, in my, to my mind, perhaps 
too much caution to the point where it was doubtful. It was almost treated as doubtful unless mm, it could mm. be corroborated. And of course, it it was difficult to corroborate it, you know, with us. Yeah, yeah. How is the court... Uh, adapted to has the court adapted or moved away from those odd positions that we used to have um, I, I I want to say yes you know but a yes but <laughs> mm. I think it's a, it's a work in progress mm. um, I think there has been a, um, a movement away from um, the in, in a right case the the victim having to prove her innocence. Yes, you know, I think yes. there is that um, that that more the approach of let's really apply the the constitution and say that they, you know let's be fair to both the victim and the um, and the accused. Yeah. So yeah. yes, I think you know I think with with everything there has been a movement towards dealing with um, the sexual offences crisis in a more humane way almost if I can say it that way. Mm, mm. If you've just joined us we're talking to Elizabeth Nevo, she's from Legal Aid and she's giving us a bit of a, an opinion and some thoughts about um, rape and historical rape cases as well. Uh, the show is almost done and we're about to wrap up with Elizabeth um, but I don't think that uh, the important bits um, have already passed. We're still going to discuss one or two other things. Uh, so thank you for tuning in. Uh, Elizabeth, what would you advise uh, for rape victims who perhaps have uh, waited a very long time uh, for whatever reason to report their rape and now are in two minds about it? Uh, it's you know on the one hand we can say but go and report it on but the, the, but then on the other hand you know there's is it going to work all of those kinds of in your opinion what, what what's the advice you would give someone like that? I think there's, no, there's nowadays there is if I understand your your question correctly sorry you broke up there for a while yeah. um, just to say if if somebody now considers after a long time um, reporting a rape um, you know what should they look at and what should they consider. Um, I think they, uh, there is counselling services, there is um, these places like Lifeline, like um, Our Plan, Our Children, there's, um, you know, these places that you must maybe just go and, and, and talk to them. Say, look, this is what's happened. Um, let them listen to it as people that deal with rape cases a lot. And, and let them also say to you, look, you know what, this is what you're looking at. Um, you're going to go to the police. They're going to take statements. You're going to go through months and months of repeating a story, um, testifying in an open court. Um, this is what that's going to entail. Mm. And I just maybe get a bit of information. And if you then feel, okay, you know, I'm, I'm up for it and um, I think I can do it, then, um, you know, do it. I, I, that friend of mine, that trauma counselor, says also there's a lot of there's a lot of healing in getting your day in court. You know, even even if maybe the perpetrator is not found guilty, yes, yes, but at least you spoke out. You had your day in court. You you said you told the story. Yes, um, and that's also I think part of on a more emotional level part of the the healing and and dealing with it because not reporting, not dealing with it has also further repercussions in your life later on, which is also not necessary. It doesn't have, mm. You don't have to walk around with that for the rest of your life. Mm, that's true. We can't underestimate the value <laughs> of having your version and being listened to by the authority, even if it doesn't result in a conviction. That's a, it, it actually is a wonderful... I've seen uh, people coming off the stand and they feel much more relieved although perhaps not happy, but they're much more relieved about the fact that they've been able to express themselves in a court of law. Mm, mm. Do you think, lastly, that we are, as a country, really getting to the bottom of this problem? Um, I, I, I see so many wonderful campaigns, 16 Days of Activism. Um, we have Legal Aid, who's also embarked on a 100 days uh, uh, campaign as well. Mm. We have all sorts of really good campaigns, and they do work. <laughs> I've seen some of them work. But uh, every so often, not even every so often, too often, 
we hear of the horrors as well which um, plague our country are we headed in the right direction I think we are um, I think we as part of legal aids campaign each um, day ask women in the organization to to um, write a little message in terms of um, you know what they think and what's happening and so on and um our admin manager in in um team Bisa, she sort of took a different stance to it and um she i hope i pronounce it correctly but she says tuma meni mm. send me to action mm. you know i think she says that we've we've so long said we must do this we must do that we have this plan mm. But does it ever come to action? Yes. Um, and I think, uh, if I can steal her words, I think uh, it's time that we sort of stop the talking and, and maybe do more the action. Yeah. Um, and we have the plans. I mean, we've discussed the plans. Um, how many times must we discuss the plan? Um, is it not really time to to really, really put all our plans um, into into action? Into action. Yeah. yeah. Well, Elizabeth, thank you for your input. It's always valued and um, it's always very insightful. We appreciate your time. It's a big pleasure. Um, legal Aid is still running its campaign. And if you don't know where your local Legal Aid office is, just go to the local uh, court and wait and ask. There will be a legal aid practitioner there. The legal aid practitioner will direct you to their local offices. Okay. So if the if you don't know where your local office is, just go to court and uh, they'll be able to assist you should you require any assistance. Elizabeth, thank you very much. Good night. Um, that's all we have for tonight. Uh, on law, on law focus, we were in partnership with the Fitz Radio Academy. It's five minutes to eight o'clock. We're almost done for the night. We talked about trauma and reporting old rape cases, as well as the scourge, really, that is uh, gender-based violence within our communities. We'd like to thank our guest Tumelo Ramalekana, who was a psychologist, who is a psychologist, and Elizabeth Nivo. She's a legal practitioner from Legal Aid. It's always a pleasure to have such insightful as well as informed uh, guests on our show. To our producer, Rifilwe Rifilwe, uh, Mekwa, our technical producer, Kutwana Sarama. Thank you for putting the show together. And from myself, Tab Mahabi, it's always a pleasure being with you on a Tuesday evening. I hope you have a beautiful festive season and that you stay blessed and safe as part of our new year. 2020 has been a year which perhaps... (laughs) Um, will be memorable, but not for perhaps the nicest reasons. Uh, but let's all be grateful that we're still here, we're still alive, perhaps uh, a little bit less money in our pockets, uh, a little slightly less spring in our step, but we're still here, and 2021, I suppose, is going to come along. To those of you who have lost your family, relatives, and friends in these uh, coronavirus pandemic, Uh, We offer our condolences to you and we hope that the new year will be much better. Let's meet again in the new year. Stay blessed and stay stay safe. Good night. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Law Focus Podcast.